This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's Friday, February 16th. It might sound like an HR issue, but could it also tank the case against Donald Trump? We start here. District Attorney Fonnie Willis takes the stand herself to defend against allegations of misconduct. You started dating shortly thereafter, correct? A lie. That's okay. one of your lies. Okay. Our team watched this dramatic scene play out in a Georgia courtroom. Meanwhile, Republicans hope the case against President Biden didn't rest on this guy. The indictment against him says, quote, the defendant's story to the FBI was a fabrication. Why the FBI just arrested its own informant and new scenes of Kansas City grief. I'm absolutely terrified right now. <laughs> Don't think I could handle going back to another parade for this. Police say kids were the ones shot and doing the shooting as well. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. Former President Donald Trump is facing a really bizarre election campaign ahead of him. Yesterday, a New York judge declined his request to dismiss fraud charges against him, and he set a trial date of March 25th, meaning here we go. Like, unlike some of the civil trials and hearings you've seen Trump attending so far, he will have to be in the courtroom for that starting next month. I'm going to have to sit here for months on a trial. I think it's ridiculous. It's unfair. Any day now, it's very possible a different New York judge issues a ruling in a civil fraud case that would strip Trump of the right to do business in the state where he made his name as a businessman. And in Georgia, Trump is still slated to face a jury over allegations that he subverted that state's election. However, the future of that trial in Georgia has been thrown into doubt. The indictment includes 41 felony counts and is 97 pages long. You might remember the name Fonnie Willis. That's the district attorney that brought this huge, sprawling case. She's the one who said they'd be pursuing this on RICO statute against a number of defendants. Well, it also appears she's been romantically linked with another lawyer on her team. And yesterday, a judge held a hearing to decide whether she can continue on this case. This got dramatic, and ABC's Olivia Rubin was inside the courtroom. She joins us now. Olivia... Can we just back up? Because I feel like a lot of us have heard something weird was happening with the DA in this case, but we haven't been following it every day. Can you just explain what Fonnie Willis was doing on the stand? Let's, yeah, I agree. Let's back up for a second. So people know Fonnie Willis. Remember, she's the Fulton County prosecutor leading one of the four criminal cases into Donald Trump. This is the Georgia election case. The participants in association took various actions in Georgia and elsewhere to block the counting of the votes of the presidential electors. She brought these sweeping charges. She charged Donald Trump and 18 others, including Mark Meadows, Rudy Giuliani, claiming they tried to overturn the election results in Georgia. And her case was flying. She charged them. She immediately flips four of the co-defendants, including some of Trump's former attorneys who are now cooperating with her. They're going to testify against him. He said, well, the boss, meaning President Trump, he said the boss uh, is not going to leave under any circumstances. We are just going to stay in power. And the case is moving on. And then 
we get to January, which is when one of the little-known defendants in the case, Mike Roman, he's a former Trump campaign staffer, files a motion, uh, 150 pages, basically saying Fonnie Willis and one of the top prosecutors on the case are having an improper relationship. And what's more, they allege that she has overpaid him to the tune of $650,000, which resulted in him taking her on lavish vacation. So essentially, she hired him. She reaps the benefit of the money that she's paying him in the form of vacations. And it's essentially a mic drop moment. The case sort of comes to a halt a little bit in what's going on, and it is just sort of left out there to fester. And more defendants join the motion, more defendants file more allegations, and Fonnie Willis's team doesn't respond for almost a month. So the allegations are going and going and going. And so is the concern here, Olivia, that what because they're on the same team, they're both prosecutors. The idea is what if, if one of them is having a relationship with his boss, that he might handle the case differently than if he weren't or something? Well, what the judge has said is that it's really linked to the allegations of the financial conflict. So what remains to be proven is the existence and extent of any financial benefit. So the attorneys have said it's a conflict of interest because you guys are in the relationship and in theory, you guys make more money as a couple the longer you keep the case going. Plane tickets, hotel rooms, Ubers, dinners, things like that. She's paying him hundreds of thousands of dollars and she's reaping the benefit from that taxpayer money. Now, Fonnie Willis's office completely denies this in a court hearing. They do cop to the relationship, but say there has been absolutely no financial gain to Fonnie Willis or Nathan Wade because of this case. And Nathan Wade in an affidavit says, Expenses were split pretty much equally. I used my own personal funds. I didn't funnel money to her. And the relationship started after I was hired. So basically, she didn't hire me to pay her boyfriend. Okay, so so what happened then at this hearing? They're getting together to decide what? If Fonnie Willis and this prosecutor should remain on the job? So this is the day for the defendants to put forth their evidence for Donald Trump and Mike Roman and everyone who joined in. This is their evidence day because they're trying to get the judge to throw her off the case. Um, And so from everything that you saw, heard, witnessed, um, it's your understanding that they were in a romantic relationship beginning in 2019. Yes. So what they essentially do is they start calling their witnesses. And the first witness up is an ex-employee and longtime friend of Fonnie Willis, who essentially testifies, hey, I actually saw them in the relationship before he was hired. You have no doubt that their romantic relationship was in effect from 2019 until the last time you spoke with her. No doubt. So it calls into question the timing of their relationship. And that's a problem because remember I just said Nathan Wade submitted a sworn affidavit to the court that the relationship started after he was hired. So you were appointed in November of 2021. Yes, ma'am. And your relationship started early. What's early? January? February? Around March around March. But then we do get the testimony from Nathan Wade and everyone, you know, is on the edge of their seat waiting to hear what he's going to say. And he contradicts that testimony. He says, no, we did not start the relationship until 2022, which would be after he was hired. And he tells the court Willis paid him back for her share of trips. If you've ever spent any time with Miss Willis, you understand that she's a very independent proud woman so she's going to Uh, overruled mr wade so she's going to insist 
that she carries her own weight. If he booked the flights, maybe she paid for an excursion and she would give him cash to pay back for what he was booking on his credit card. That was the testimony of Nathan Wade. So we would ask the court uh, that the, that the that the, the court allow Ms. Willis to be called and interrogated uh, on these matters. Can I wait to your honor? But then it's not over because what happens is the defense calls Fonnie Willis to the stand and it sort of creates a whole discussion because the state, her prosecutors in court are looking for the judge to quash the subpoena. They're saying, no, she can't. She shouldn't have to testify. You know, they're on a fishing expedition. And as her own prosecutors are arguing to quash her subpoena, she barges through the door, Brad. Wait, wait. So this wasn't this wasn't planned to have her come in and testify? I mean, hey, it could have been planned. She had a subpoena for her testimony. She knew she was going to be called because the defense said as much, but her team was on the floor arguing that she should not have to testify. And then she comes in and she says, I'm ready to go. And onto the stand she goes in what becomes a very fiery, very adamant testimony from her. When the state was well, it's highly offensive when someone lies on you and it's highly offensive when they try Judge. to implicate that you slept with somebody the first day you met with them and I take exception to it. Basically hitting back on every single allegation against her and saying these are lies. You started dating shortly thereafter, correct? The lie. That's okay. one of your lies. Okay. She went after Ashley Merchant, one of the attorneys for the defendants. She had it out with Steve Sadow, one of Trump's attorneys and it was sort of this sparring where she was pushing back. I'm going to try to ask you questions that you can actually answer without having to explain, okay? Yes, sir. My comprehension skills are pretty good, so we should do all right. We shall soon see. And for the first time, Brad, we have not heard from her for her to say these are lies. And I do also want to add she had such a powerful moment where she came out and she said, you must be confused because I'm not on trial you guys are on trial for trying to overturn the 2020 election. It is not me. It is you. I think we and I very much want to be here, so I'm not a hostile witness. I very much want to be not here. Not so much that you're hostile, Ms. Willis. It'd be an adverse witness. Your interests are opposed to Ms. Merchant's. Ms. Merchant's interests are, per- are contradictory. Contrary to democracy, Your Honor, not to mine. So sort of trying to flip the script back on the defendants who she says, you know, this case is about them. It's not me. Wow. Okay. so she comes in. She gives this sort of surprise testimony. She gets grilled by several lawyers because there's so many defendants in this case. Did you get a sense of what's going to happen here? Like, is she going to stay on the case? And if she doesn't, what happens to the case? Well, first of all, she's back on the stand later today to continue the testimony. Let's not forget there. But It's really not clear what's going to happen. I'd be surprised if both Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade are both on this case in a month from now. A lot of people say, Brad, there is a potential that she is on the rocks here. The judge has previously said that she very well could be disqualified if there is evidence of what the defendants are saying. I think it's possible that the facts alleged by... Uh, the defendant could result in disqualification. I think an evidentiary hearing must occur. So it's certainly something he's indicated he has concerns about. And there are also a lot of people who are, you know, no fans of Fonnie Willis who felt like it was not a good day for her. So it only is going to come down to the judge. Does he keep her on this case or does he remove her? Wow, wild scenes here. We had reporters in the hallway who Fonnie Willis was passing me. I'm like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it right now. And don't forget, in Trump world, we are looking at several potential rulings or even decisions on some of these cases going forward. Olivia Rubin there in Atlanta. Thank you for being our eyes there. Thanks, Brad. More to come today. 
impeached him on Start Here. Talk about an imperfect witness. The guy cited as a highly credible source in impeachment proceedings was just arrested for lying. We're back in a bit. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever wondered what you would do with an extra hour in your day? I think about this all the time. I'm like, I would be so productive. I'd exercise more, or I'd read a book, or I'd take a nap, like restore myself. We often find ourselves yearning for these extra hours, but the real question is, what would you do if you were making yourself a priority? Well, how about therapy? It can help you discover what's important so you can make the most of your time. If you've ever benefited from therapy, you know how transformative it can be. It's not just for those who have experienced major trauma. Therapy empowers you to learn positive coping skills, set boundaries, and become the best version of yourself. If you're considering starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and tailored to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And here's the beauty of it. You can switch therapists if you're not finding the right fit. No additional charge. Take the first step. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash start here today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash start here. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there should be no compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor, you know the type, like I've had this person before, that doesn't actually listen to you or who seems just in a rush to end your appointment that you spent months making. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. So no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you got more options than you know. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. Go to ZocDoc.com slash start here and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash start here. ZocDoc.com slash start here. So if the developments in Georgia might undermine the proceedings against former President Trump, there was another headline yesterday that could undermine the case against the family of current President Biden. So you remember how Republican lawmakers for years have been crying foul when it comes to the president's eldest son, Hunter. He worked for several international companies in recent years, and there were questions about whether he was even qualified to do some of that work. Republican lawmakers had said, well, the only way he was getting those contracts could be because he was maybe selling access to his father. This idea has resulted in special counsel investigations, calls for criminal charges for Hunter Biden, even talk of the possible impeachment of the president. But yesterday, the arrest of someone that most Americans have never heard of threw some of these allegations into serious doubt. ABC senior investigative reporter Mike Levine joins us. Wait, Mike, so this all revolves around a guy named Alexander Smirnov. Why do we care about him? So for months now, Republicans on the Hill have been pointing to what it turns out are this guy's claims as one of the reasons why Joe Biden might be corrupt. Even a trusted FBI informant has alleged a bribe. And a highly credible FBI source alleges that Joe Biden received $5 million. We also found a Form 1023, an FBI form alleging Joe Biden took a bribe. The claims that were made by this guy were captured in an FBI form called a 1023. It's basically raw intelligence. When anyone makes any claims, the FBI captures those claims in this 1023 form. 
Senator Grassley and other Republicans got a hold of that 1023 and ended up, ended up actually releasing it. And what we learned from this is the FBI never investigated this allegation. And those allegations were now public for all to see. And now it turns out that the Justice Department is saying it was all a lie. Wait, wait. So authorities are saying this guy, Alexander Smirnov, just made up the claims? Yes, that's what they're saying. This guy actually was a source for the FBI for many, many years, dating back to like 2010. And then in 2017, he came forward with these allegations that related to Joe Biden, but they weren't that specific, according to the Justice Department. But then they became more specific as other allegations surrounding Joe Biden surfaced. And it was in 2020 that Smirnoff first allegedly brought some of these key allegations forward to the FBI. And the FBI says that those sort of additional allegations were totally false. As the indictment against him says, quote, the defendant's story to the FBI was a fabrication, an amalgam of otherwise unremarkable business meetings and contacts, end quote. Yeah, specifically, what are the types of allegations that we're talking about here? So the allegations that he brought to the FBI were all really about how Joe Biden and Hunter Biden had allegedly paid millions of dollars to a Ukrainian prosecutor to basically help Burisma, which you might remember is that Ukrainian company, gas company, that Hunter Biden was on the board of and actually got paid by. Right. So the allegations essentially were that the Bidens were paid millions of dollars to pressure the Ukrainian prosecutor to end his investigations into, into Burisma. Right. So yesterday, the FBI arrested Smirnov in Las Vegas at the airport there after he flew in from overseas. Wow. Okay, so now they're arresting the guy that they had relied on for information for years, now saying, like, he just made this up. That, that of course, is a crime. So does this affect the possibility of an impeachment of charges here? Like, how much does this throw this case into chaos? Well, Republicans say that this one allegation, that these allegations from this guy are really just one piece of all the evidence that they have against the Bidens. So it seems their view is that this should not and will not impact what they're doing right now in terms of impeachment. But it's also important to note that almost from the start of all this, the FBI has consistently made clear that intelligence that comes in this way is unverified, it's raw, that it can't be taken at face value right away, and that they needed to investigate it. We were never able to find out what they actually discovered until now. Yeah, it's interesting. We had heard about, you know, complaints about the FBI using sort of unverified information in their investigations surrounding Donald Trump. Then Republicans were saying, hey, look at this, what we now know is unverified information about Joe Biden. Now, some of those same Republicans, James Comer, who's leading the impeachment push, has said, well, this actually raises serious questions about the FBI, that they would even rely on, on any of this in their investigations. Uh, Mike Levine, our senior investigative reporter. Thank you. Thank you. After any mass shooting, there's lots of confusion. We spoke with one woman who said her brother was actually shot in the face. I'm absolutely terrified right now. And honestly, I don't think I could handle going back to another parade for this. But in a crime scene where you got one fatality, two dozen injuries, and 800,000 bystanders, the Super Bowl parade shooting in Kansas City has taken a while to puzzle together. Members of the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department, the Kansas City Fire Department, city officials, federal partners, and many others have worked around the clock investigating this incident. Well, now we've begun to get some more answers, and ABC's Morgan Norwood is on scene there in Kansas City now. Morgan, one thing that continues to be so disheartening here is how many kids were hurt. I mean, can we just talk about what we know about the victims at this point? 
Yeah, you know, we're really talking about a tragic, a heartbreaking situation. So many people still in shock uh, and disbelief over what happened. We know that the shooting did claim the life of one person, Lisa Lopez Galvan, 43 years old, a mom of two. She was here, you know, enjoying the parade, cheering on her team. And, you know, she was tragically, you know, gunned down. My sister, she was a very bubbly, um, you know, life of the party kind of personality. Very caring, very giving. She was also a beloved radio DJ, Brad. KKFI was the station that she worked for. Kind of her main genre was uh, Tex-Mex, Tejano music. She was dearly loved in this community, uh, just being a good human and, and caring individual. So yes, we know that one person was killed in this, but nearly two dozen others were, were injured. And what we're learning from police is that the majority of those hurt were children. The 22 victims age range between eight years old and 47 years old. At least half of our victims are under the age of 16. The good news is that all of them are expected to be okay. That is physically, Brad, but what these children had to witness, what they had to endure, no doubt will stick with them emotionally, mentally. We know there are mental health resources here on the ground, um, but situations like these don't leave you easily. Well, and so then what led to this? Because there was speculation this might be two guys fighting or gang activity, and then there's all the, the young people around. What do we know? You know, I, I think the headline here, Brad, is kids and gun violence, right? I mean, look, they're on both ends. Police say two juveniles are connected to this shooting. Wow. They, they've been detained, and they believe that they're somehow connected to all of this. I want to stress that preliminary investigative findings have shown there was no nexus to terrorism or homegrown violent extremism. At this hour, police don't necessarily think that this was a shooting motivated by hate, terrorism, but instead several people involved in some sort of dispute, an argument. They confront each other and it ends in gun violence that in turn put more than one million people, thousands of children in the crosshairs of these bullets. Well, and so like, as we look back on this, then as all this sort of starts to come into focus, was there enough security at this parade? I guess I'm trying to figure out, is there anything you can do differently if there's a few people getting into a, a fight when they are armed and we live in this country where so many people have guns on them? Is there anything you can do to stop this? I'd imagine as we're looking at the ratio between the number of police officers on the ground, the more than 800, 850 officers on the ground, federal, state and local versus the number of people that were here, they're going to be looking into whether there were any blind spots or anything they could have potentially missed. You know, in any situation like this, you're going to get that post shooting or, or post situational analysis as they try to figure out um, how to prevent something like this from happening again. And like you said, according to police at this point, it appears that young people were really on either side of the gun here and, and this gun violence. All right, Morgan Norwood there in Kansas City. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Brad. Okay, one more quick break. When we come back, I didn't know what a Logo 3 was until she started making it rain. One last thing is next. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. And one last thing. 
Most days, you can get a ticket to see the University of Iowa women's basketball team for about 15, 20 bucks. Last night, tickets were selling for $400 a pop. People were desperate to squeeze in the door to see this. Here comes Clark. How will she go for history? That was the moment in which Caitlin Clark became the all-time leading scorer in the women's college game. This game aired on Peacock, and while she started the night eight points away, she dropped 23 in the first quarter. Like, pressure? What pressure? There were lots of reasons for basketball fans to be excited about this. For one, Clark has become a transcendent star, giving a new look to what young female hoopers can do. Like lots of fellow point guards, she can dribble, she can diss the rock, but she's also six feet tall and routinely drives to the hoop with ease. Clark trying to outrace Cochran, able to pizza pie at home. Then there's the way she shoots, and man, can she shoot. Guarded by Robinson, Clark firing again. Oh my! Caitlin Clark, a showstopper! When I was in Iowa last month, I saw these shirts in gold and black with just three words on them. They said, from the beak. That is in reference to the Hawkeye logo, the spot near midcourt where Clark is known to launch up three-pointers. Last night, that record-breaking shot was from a spot on the floor even farther away than the beak. Like, lots of players have swagger, but very few do it like this. It was never something I'm chasing. That's never why I'm scoring the ball at the rate I am. Uh, I think it's just kind of what the team needs. But perhaps the most exciting part about Caitlin Clark's career so far is what it's meant to the broader sport. Games are selling out. This year alone, several Iowa games are among the top rated in women's basketball history. Remember how college players can now sign contracts for their name, image, and likeness? Clark reportedly has a deal for just shy of a million dollars, and she's not even out of college yet. Now that her place has been cemented in the women's game, she's not done. She has her eyes on the men's college record, just over 100 points away, and at this rate, it'll just be a few more games before that falls, too. I cannot get over watching her. Like, just ice in the veins, wants the ball every play. And she said she didn't even expect the game to get paused to recognize her because, you know, like, her team might need timeouts. Don't waste them on her, she said. Start Here is produced by Kelly Therese, Jen Newman, Brenda Salinas-Baker, Vika Aronson, Cameron Chertavian, Anthony Ali, Mara Milwaukee, and Madeline Wood. Ariel Chester is our social media producer. Josh Cohan is director of podcast programming. I'm our managing editor, Laura Mayers, our executive producer. Thanks to Lakia Brown, John Newman, Tara Gimble, and Liz Alessi. Special thanks this week to Chris Berry and Jared Kofsky. I'm Brad Milkey. See you next week. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.